You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And y'all, we have an amazing guest today. Let me just say this first, New York Times bestselling author, and the rest of it is just going to be gold. I know you're going to enjoy this. So we're excited to bring uh, Michelle Gable uh, from, or who is an author, and and we're going to talk about her story. And honestly, how do you become a New York Times bestselling author? But let's dive into Michelle. Now, there are stories, you know, only you can tell. And the world needs to hear them. Not all of us believe that, but it doesn't make it any less true. From ancient times, stories, you know, they've provided us with lessons, entertainment, given us a way to record history. Storytells, or storytellers now known as authors have therefore always been an integral part of the human experience. Even in the digital age, you know, we can be captured by a great book, a great story, and that's where Michelle comes in. That is what she does. She's here to tell us about her writing journey, current books, upcoming projects, and I don't know if we've ever had a New York Times bestselling author in five and a half years. So you might be our first one, Michelle. So we are honored to have you here, excited to dive into this, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I'm happy to be the first one, if, if that's true. Um, I I love being here. I love what you said about storytelling and how you can learn more about the world and other topics, even if it's fiction. So I, I do truly believe that. So thank you guys for having me. That's awesome. Thank you for being here. And, and let's jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, who is Michelle Gable? <laughs> um, I... Uh, I am an author and I grew up in San Diego. I live in San Diego now. And uh, I was one of those kids that always loved to read. I would go to the library, check out 10 books, and then have to go back like a week later and get 10 more and it would drive my parents crazy. And for my 10th birthday, my parents gave me a book called, or it was, <laughs> there was some story behind here because I would, I would tell the story and I'd say, my dad gave me this book called Someday You'll Write. And then my mom's like, um, excuse me, everybody knows like that right? The mom buys the present for the dad, you know, to give to the kids. <laughs> so my mom's like, I actually bought it. But it was called Someday You'll Write because they could tell that I was really into reading and my dad was a journalist. And um, so I, from that point on, I would write these short stories and these terrible novels and all of these things. And I don't think that I really thought of it as uh, something I was going to do for a career or anything like that. I just liked to do it. It was like a hobby. Um, you know, I got older, I kept writing, I did my other teenage and every, you know, things like that. And then I, um, I went to high school, graduated high school. This was all in San Diego. And I ended up coming to your, to your coast, to the college of William and Mary, uh, for college in Virginia. And I majored in accounting, which is what writers, (laughs) which is what writers usually do. Right. Uh, I, the thing is, I really, I love to write, but I did also like numbers and accounting. And I also wanted to be able to, you know, eat and pay rent. And I knew my parents weren't going to, you know, support a starving artist or anything like that. So I needed to have a legitimate career path because writing is very hit or miss, very difficult. Uh, and, and it was even, in some ways, it's more difficult now, but also back then, in the late, you know, in the late 90s, you couldn't submit manuscripts electronically, right? You had to like mail them in, you know, there was extra steps involved. So I kept writing and writing and um, reading and and going through my career. I ended up 
getting married, moved back to San Diego. I, I was in DC for many years. And then finally, it was the night of my 31st birthday. And I decided, I just told my husband, I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to take one of these manuscripts. I'm going to try to get an agent. I knew I wanted to be traditionally published. I didn't want to self-publish. It wasn't, self-publishing wasn't as big back then. And, but also I knew I didn't want to have to be like the general contractor of my own book. I didn't want to have to worry about a copy editor, a proofreader, a regular editor, who's doing the cover, who's going to just design the pages that go in the book. Like I just did not want to deal with that. I wanted, and distribution. So I wanted sort of, you guys do brand. I wanted the brand of a traditional publisher behind me and somebody that knew that they were doing as opposed to myself. So I wrote, up a manuscript and, and to get through to a traditional publisher, it has to go through an agent, unless you are some really big name, but generally you have to get through an agent. So I researched how to do an agent. I was approached it very business-like and um, started, you know, got a manuscript fixed up. I, I started querying agents. I found an agent uh, that um, represented my type of work that wanted to represent me. And, and so she went out and tried to sell that book and that book didn't sell which was fine. So I just wrote a different book and that book didn't sell. And, and meanwhile, I'm, you know, going up in my finance, I've transitioned to finance at this point. I'm starting to have kids, but I'm like, you know, I'm just going to keep writing. I'll write a better book and a better book and a better book after that. And eventually I might be 80 when my first book comes out, but I'll be really, really good at that point. So finally I had written yet another book <laughs> and I kept telling my agent, they don't get paid till you get paid. So I kept telling her, you can fire me. I understand you're trying to make a living, <laughs> not just like doing this. I will not be offended. She's like, she no, believed I believe in, in you. you. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, somebody does. So that's, that's a plus. But, uh, so she fought, there was an, there was a manuscript and she sent it out to five publishers. And within the first 24 hours, all five editors said, oh, I want to have this book. You know, I have to have this book. So it was great. She set up an auction, which is, you know, just a good, like an auction on your house or anything else, you know, a bidding war. And, but on the day of the auction, one by one, every editor dropped out. And the problem was, it was really bad timing. This was 2010. It was when, so the economy was really bad at that point still. And publishers are funny business. They uh, don't always think like business people and they, they get scared and they'll just decide to be very conservative. So they were like, we're only publishing, you know, Nora Roberts, James Patterson, like people that already have a built-in audience, no debut. We're not doing debuts. They're too hard to sell. And which is funny because now debuts are actually kind of, they have cachet. And I, I have friends that their books don't sell well. And then they have, they write another book under a pen name and they call it a debut to get the cachet. So it's funny how, how much things change, how much the market changes. But so, uh, when I got that news, that was a little disheartening. Yeah. Well, it's debut authors are too hard to sell. Cause my whole mantra had been, I'll just keep writing books and another one and another one after that. So at that point I was kind of thinking like, I don't really know what to do at this point. Why am I writing? Am I writing to get published? Am I writing for myself? I ended up going on a trip for work um, to Europe. And when I came back, my agent had sent me an article. It was about an, and, and this, this article keeps going around. It was just on social media a couple of days ago. So you might've seen it. It was about an, uh, a, an old woman had died in the South of France. And when they went through her estate, they found out that she'd had an apartment in Paris that she locked up 70 years before and never returned. And when they opened it up, it was filled with like Florida rafters, unimaginable treasures, furniture, artwork that sold for millions of dollars, just 
you know, everywhere just these treasures. And my agent saw this. She thought of me. She said, you know, I think you could write about this. And uh, I think it was, she sent it to me because I had just been in Paris. So it was top of mind. And also, I mean, she was not making any money. So she's probably trying to figure out how to get me, how to get me some money. And then, um, so I did write that book and it ended up being my first book, uh, Paris Apartment. And it came out in 2014. And so, you know, I was telling you the story. I got the I got that book from my parents when I turned 10. I told my husband on my 31st birthday, this is what I'm going to do. And that book came out a few years before I turned 40. So it was an extremely long timeline. And my agent worked for me for five and a half years for free, but she really believed in me. And um, she's still my agent to this day. You know, I signed with her in 2008, beginning of 2008. So that's how long we've been together. And um it was pretty successful right out of the gate, even though they their marketing plan for me was, uh, well, I mean, you you could tweet about it or whatever, like you, that's your marketing plan. <laughs> like they had nothing, and it was a little again things change. It was different back then. I I put a lot of my advance into my own marketing plans because I had you know I had income from my other job, so it was you know I could do that, and um, you know like Facebook ads back then were very effective. Things like that that are you know everything's changed, but, and it became a success really quickly. And, and the funny part was my, my agent having all these editors call up and say, how come you never gave us a crack at Michelle Gable? And she's like, you've read like five of her books and <laughs> rejected them all. So that's kind of how it got started. And uh, my sixth book just came out, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, the lipstick bureau, and they're all, all my books are, are historical with usually a modern day, you know, timeline, in addition, kind of surrounding the historical part of the story. And it's always about a real person or a real circumstance that I build fiction from. So that's kind of, that's a very long story, but, uh, you know. Absolutely fascinating. It took a, lot, it took a long time you, to get there. Uh, and what I'm picking, well, congratulations for one. Uh, that's awesome. And for two, that, that sounds like a typical success story, right? Like there's failure after failure after failure after failure, and you just kept at it. And here you are, you know, you finally yeah. got one that hit, probably builds confidence, probably builds reputation, probably builds your personal brand. And from here, maybe it becomes a little easier, you know? Yeah, but yeah, but you still even have struggles. And I think that's, um, and, and I know, you know, Melissa from, from your company, she heard me on another podcast where it was, it's two writers have it and it's called the struggle bus. And they just were inviting <laughs> all these authors to come in and talk about all their other journeys on the struggle bus. And, you know, even after I was successful, you know, the, the publishing industry, you know, there's always, I had an editor I love, but then they, you know, they'll fire the, the more experienced ones to get the cheaper, less experienced ones. Or, and they'll do a lot of moving around and people change houses. And I got this new editor and she, clearly didn't like my work. So I'm like, that's fine. But maybe I should have an editor that likes my stuff. Again, <laughs> people can have their own opinions, but they should like my thing. My editor should like my thing. And, you know, and then I had to get a new publisher and that was a whole thing. And I felt, I felt almost like I was starting over. Cause I was like, well, why, why can't I just write what I want to write? Like I have a reputation. I have a built in audience. I have people that will follow me everywhere. And so it's funny how you can even, continue even though you think like I've made it and maybe other authors would look at me and be like oh she's made it like people know who, you know you still have the you know you still go back on the struggle bus for a bit go to the next stop you know and it's it's different kinds of struggles but it did you know it, it was a good that was a great book and all those books that failed before like that was a great platform for me to start 
that that particular book was the right book at the right time and it was the right platform for me to start my career because maybe my career would have gone a different direction because publishers do want you to stick to the same general vibe or whatever for each book they don't want you to take a hard left turn or anything unless you're again you if you're extremely famous selling gazillions of copies you could do whatever you want but you know for the less famous of us they want you to stick within a genre well, after this podcast, you will be selling gazillions. So, congratulations! <laughs> congratulations! That's, We're going big time. Great. You can now, you can now write, you can write about whatever you want after this Sci-fi, podcast. It doesn't matter. That's right. I want to go into so you know we mentioned the New York Times bestsellers list, and and that's kind of you know the list that you want to be on that you probably dreamed about for for a very long time, and there were probably a lot of moments in your life where you thought you know maybe that's a a pipe dream, something that. I dream about it, but is it really ever going to happen? But it did happen to you. And I want to go through that exact moment because I don't really know how an author finds out that you become a New York you know, Times bestseller. What was that moment like? How did you receive that information? Was it a moment of joy? Were you crying? Like, what was it like to experience that? And then how has that changed, you know, your career as an author by being on that list? Because as a consumer and a reader, you see that and you immediately are like, oh yeah, all right, that's it, right? It's like, it's instant credibility, right? Like it's, it's okay, this is somebody that, that if the New York Times thinks that they're a bestseller or they are a bestseller, that's something that, that I can read and, and it's gonna be enjoyable, it's gonna be awesome and I'll get something from it. Explain that story of how you found that out and what it meant to you and, and what that experience was about. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. If you can just put that on, the, on your cover, I mean, I feel like that's so valuable yeah. Every time I have a new book and a new cover, it's on there. And it's what's really, what was really great about this. And and I, I hit the list on my first book, right? What was really, and it was after I'd been out a while, what was really great about that book is I was so excited to finally be published that I had no expectations going in. Like I was like, if my parents read this book and that's it, that's fine. I will have always been a published author. Like I wasn't even thinking about lists and things like that because I've been working so hard to reach this goal. And when I saw that book in the bookstores for the first time and that cover was, it was very white. And that when it came out, it was just white with a script, a Paris apartment. And when it came out, all the books at that time were really dark and blue. And you would walk into Barnes and Noble and you could see it from across the store. And to me, like, I was like, okay, this is great. Like, I don't care if this sells five copies. I honestly do not care. Uh, Like I am, no one will take this away from me. So I was, my expectations were so low, which is um, it's great. And most authors have these, like, I want to be on the list. And it's so hard to make the list. And right now, if you look at the paperback list, for example, Colleen Hoover, the writer, she's having a huge moment because of book talk, TikTok. She's taking up like eight or nine of the 15 spaces of all her backlists. So it's like so hard to make the list. I was, it was, it's, it was kind of a funny story. I was, um, I had no, I had known because I made it on the print the print and the ebook and print combined, I think. And I had known that my, that week, my ebook sales were crazy and that the print sales were also going really well. So I, not that I thought it was a possibility, but you know, it was, if it was ever going to happen, it was going to happen this one week. And, um, I was playing 10, I was playing a tennis match and I, what happens is the, the list comes out on, on Thursday, but, your agent and your editor would know by Wednesday. So I had just finished my match and they would find out the end of the day, but at the end of the day, 
East Coast time, right, which is like midday our time. So and we had decided to go out to lunch, a bunch of us. And that's when my agent called. And when I saw my agent, I, when I saw her number come across, I, I knew that that's what it was because she would she doesn't call that much. If she just wants to chat about something, she'll email me and say, hey, do you have a time to talk? How about tomorrow at five or whatever the case is. So I knew she was calling me. It was either something like really bad or really good. <laughs> I, didn't think it was, I didn't think it was something bad. And so um, I picked it up and of course I was so excited. And my friend actually took a picture of me when I heard the news, like, like she would just awesome. happened and yeah. she could tell that something was brewing and then she took a picture of me. So it was, that was pretty cool. And it was just, it was really, it was hard. It was just so hard to believe. It was so crazy and um you know i just it was a great moment and and like you said every cover it's gonna say that for the rest of my life <laughs> and and back to you can't take that away you know it is a great branding thing like it really is and within the industry it's actually kind of sad so within the industry with people and publishers and distributors like a, a barnes and noble or costco or whatever they you know the New York Times list is a little hazy because there's some judgment involved. It's sales, but there's also some judgment and they won't release like what their um, methodology is. So it's it's a kind of like this black box. Well, the USA Today list is considered like that's a legit list. So I've had that on, on a couple of my books. And that's always exciting because you feel like that's no one making a judgment. But this week. Um, USA Today laid off the person that compiled the list and like after however many decades and decades they're not going to do a USA Today bestseller list which is crazy because like to me that my um, my last book just hit it like a couple weeks ago I got in under the wire and it, it was a shock and I was so excited and even my agent said oh my gosh well that's the list you want to be on because that's like the legit bestseller that's the actual bestseller list um, and you know it's, it's sad to think that it's it's going away. That is pretty it's wild. Gone. They just stopped. Yeah, they just stopped publishing it. Yeah, this past weekend. Hmm. Well, wow. you know, one thing you mentioned, you said that your uh, New York Times bestseller is going to be on your books uh, for the rest of your life. Well, you know what? It'll be on for the rest of eternity, right? Anytime that book is out That's there, true. even when you're not here, um, you've created content and you've created a story and you've created a way to connect to your audience and people that love you know reading your books. And, and that's awesome. You know, we always talk about content in our world. And I had a, a brief conversation yesterday about one of our podcasts. And we unfortunately had somebody that had passed away after it, a couple of weeks after it. And we've heard amazing stories from the organization that he created, how they go back and they listen to that podcast. And, and there's something that will always mm -hmm. be there. And, and, and that's kind of what you've created, right? Like that legacy through, through your writing. So I want to jump into you now. I've said you've wrote six books. Is that have all of them? So I feel like once you get New York Times bestseller, and then you write another one are now the agents or your agents going out. Are they like the publishers are like, okay, I, I have to read that. Right. And have you had any mm -hmm. books turned down since then? Or is it like now that you hit it, it's like, boom, boom, boom. You just, you just over here, just keep on writing and keep <laughs> on printing. Yeah, I absolutely have. Um, I, when I, when I changed publishers, so I was leaving my last publisher and um, I actually ended up, I was contracted through my fifth book. And I had to deliver my fifth book and I, and I delivered a book. They didn't like it. I delivered another book. They didn't like it. And, and this is when I was feeling like this and I had, they had given me a new editor and I, and I remember her feedback was never about the story. It was seemed to be more about the writing style. And I remember just asking my editor, I'm like, listen, 
my books that are published, do you like them? Because like, I feel like this is an important thing if we're going to have a good relationship. You know, people books are very subjective. So I get that not everyone's going to like my book, but my editor needs to love my book. Uh, that's and, and they're also the one that's fighting for you in-house. Like they have, publishers have very limited advertising budgets, very limited advertising attention, very limited people that are going to work on all these things. So you need somebody, you need an editor that's in there like, guys, this book's going to be huge. You need to support this. You need to give it the air that it, it needs. Otherwise it can just languish. So many books are published every year. It's, it's insane. You need to somebody to help you get visibility. So I ended up breaking my contract, which is like pretty unheard of, but they let me keep the advance, which is how, you know, they know that they were wrong, um, that they did not treat me well. So I had this other book and my agent loved it. And she was, and all these years she's been having editors at other houses calling her and saying when Michelle's off contract, they can't really contact you while you're under contract, right? Um, when Michelle's off contract, I, we would love to bring her here. So it was different publishers. I felt like I had tons of options that, and, and there was one. So one had been my assist had been an assistant on my first book. And she, now she was like big up editor at, at a different house. And she'd been calling my agent constantly. I really want Michelle. I really want Michelle. I can make sure she gets like all the attention. And it was a small imprint at a big house. So she's like, she can like soak up all the attention. It's been great. And I had written this other book and they were all like, yeah, no. Cause it was, it took place in Nevada in a brothel in the 1860s. And they're like, nobody wants to read that. Like people don't like the West. They want like Europe. They want, you know, when historical fiction and like people don't like us historical fiction, they like, other kind of historical fiction. And I'm like, well, until somebody writes something that they like, you can say that about literally anything, right? And then somebody writes a book, it strikes a chord, and then suddenly everybody's writing. That's how publishing works. And, and the publishers are so conservative and like, okay, well, we, can, we gotta do what works, but then somebody will take a chance on somebody, that book breaks out, and then suddenly everyone's like, yes, vampires or whatever it is. It, it you know, I'm like, well, maybe this, book will work and that's when I was starting to get really frustrated because I'm like okay I feel like I'm I'm back to Michelle before I got published where I'm just like come on guys just you know, just put I promise you it'll be good you know just put this out put this out so it was and and it was kind of funny because I was getting very frustrated I loved this book so much I love the characters and and the editors did too but they were just like look you know we love this we love Michelle but like this is there's just not a big market for this kind of book and um so then i i just remember like okay fine i'm gonna write a book that has you know it's got london it's got paris it's got bookshops it's got world war ii and that was like my last book that was, that was a book that sold to the, that we i moved over to harper collins and i ended up going with my that the one that was the the assistant on my first book that's now a you know a high level editor and a small imprint within HarperCollins. So it was kind of funny. So that was, I, I did all the tropes in that in that book. And um, it was a lot of fun because it was about uh, Nancy Mitford, who's one of my favorite authors of all time. So it was a lot of fun to live in her world. So yes, I have had plenty of books uh, rejected. And even now uh, when I'm under contract, the way it works is that uh, I, sold, I signed a two book contract. So it was that book and then a TBD book. So I sold the book based on literally nothing. And then I have to kind of run ideas through my editor, like, okay, well, I think I'm going to write about this and she can say yay or nay. So there's definitely been ideas where she's like, um, no, uh, -uh that's not going to work. How long does it take you to write a book? Like, give us just an idea. Cause I just feel like I could never write a book. 
I feel like I, there's no way. There's no I way. I mean, I remember when they were like, it needs yeah. to be five page essay. I'm like, five pages? How am I going to get? What am I right? supposed to be writing about for five pages? No I mean, kidding. I know that sounds crazy, no but like for me, I, I literally couldn't. I mean, I love reading. I love both. It's, it's something that's a true art. I don't think I could do it. And I've always been fascinated. Like, how do you, how do you write a book? You know, I know right. that sounds, you well, obviously you get it. Tell reading, me. Yeah. You probably could. Cause you probably have the knowledge in there of what a book needs to pace, how it needs to go. But, um, it ta- I mean, it's hard to say cause it takes probably about, cause there's the writing, the research, all my books are very research heavy. And then, you know, when there's, then I send it to my editor and then I'll do more research when my editor is going through it. Cause a lot of times the research, you don't know what you need to know until the book's written. And I've kind of learned that along the way I would research for months and then I'll be like, well, this is a cool fact. Where can I cram it in? But it's easier to do it once you know the structure of the story. So I can write the actual book once I have the outline and everything and the research. I can write the book itself pretty quickly. Um, I, I go for word count goals. That's how I kind of track myself. And usually I just back it up between like whatever my due date is and like, okay, you know. X word, a thousand words divided by this, but generally a thousand words a day is about it. And a, a book is like 90,000 to a hundred thousand words. That's three months. So I can, now a book in three months, that's not a good book. That's not a book that anybody, even my editor should look at. Like that is a, an extremely rough draft, but once you, it's so much easier once you have it on paper, right? Ed, the editing, you can, ed, you got to edit something. You can't edit a blank piece of paper. So like, right. you got to have the, the story down. So, I mean, all in, it probably takes me. So I have a book that I need to turn in on January 2nd, which is, it's crazy to have a book that's launching like within a week of, you have a due date for your next book. That's just, it's a lot. <laughs> but, and so I've been working on that book for probably about a year. So between the research, the writing, then the rewriting, the pulling it apart, you know, putting it back together. And then I will send it to my editor. She is not seeing a page of this and she'll have her own edits. And so then I will get, you know, those back and we'll go back and forth. So then once you will probably work on it together for, you know, all in between me starting it fresh page one to when it's, when it's ready, they call it delivery and acceptance. That's probably a year and a half ish, I would say. Who's the uh, the tougher critic, your husband or your daughters? Um, none of them because they don't really read my books. What? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> it's like my your wife doesn't does. listen to this podcast. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're called out, babe. If you listen to it, tell me. Hey, yeah. All right, we're coming back on the know, next man. episode. No, I'm gonna let you know if you heard this. <laughs> no, you won't. I, my husband will do it only because my first book, he like. I dedicated my first book to him, and then he didn't read it. And only <laughs> read it. Shame and, like, on him. I mean, his grandma is like, "Oh, that was great." All like every single family member he's ever had was like, "Oh," and I'm like, "Your family members have read it, and you haven't read it, and it's dedicated to you. No more books dedicated to you." So <laughs> oh, now he God. does, and he's not. He's more. He is definitely not a fiction reader. Like he is more of a. He's kind of funny. He doesn't read a lot, and then he'll decide to read some, you know, thousand-page book. And I'm like, "Listen, Dennis." You can, reading can be fun. Like you can, you don't have to read like some magnum opus. Like you can, you know, like you have to read your one serious book a year or whatever. Like you can have fun with it. <laughs> so, um, and I, my girls, I think my kids are um, 19 and 16. I think the 19 year old maybe might read one of my books one of these days. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I don't know. 
they yeah they just have it i think they've read little pages and and they both speak really good french so i know my older one read one of a french edition so i get the when they're published in other countries they send me those editions which is cool although like you know i'm like i can't read this turkish edition but it's cool to see <laughs> and cool. um really cool yeah so she read like she read some of the french um edition the french edition so that was kind of cool so maybe they'll read it one day i don't know maybe they're afraid to read it right like if they don't like it or you know they don't want to read a sex scene or something that i wrote you know, that might be cringy for them what would that's you, it what would that's you say it. like with the the success you've uh, experienced recently uh, what would you say has been like your biggest surprise, right? Like, is it the criticism that comes with success or what, what has happened that you didn't see coming, um, e either in a positive light or a negative light, you know? Well, uh, yeah, the first, I have two things that come to mind, one, one of each, and the one is more related to my first book, but it even happens now. I mean, it's really, writing is so insular and you do it by yourself that it's harder like it is kind of mind-blowing to think like people i've never met have read my books like i i know that sounds crazy and um i remember soon after my first book came out and cindy crawford had tweeted about it and my first that's thought awesome was, that is awesome but my first thought my legitimate first thought was does my mom know cindy crawford like <laughs> in my head like there's no other way she could have heard about my book unless my mom was like here's a book. <laughs> like it just it felt like it was only my mom and her book club and their friends you know like it like, so it's very hard or like when somebody will, will write you and, and it's funny, a lot of people from, um, like foreign countries will write me and say like, this is the best book I've ever read. And I'm just like that really, you must not have read many books. Cause it's, I mean, it's good, but you know, like it's just crazy. Or people will say it got me through a hospital stay where mm -hmm. it like helped me make a decision about this one woman. Um, she started an antique shop and named it after like a piece of one of my books like that it inspired her to start Very her cool. own antique shop it, um and then on the so just that kind of stuff where people are like this made a difference in my life like that has to be it, super and, rewarding and it, yeah yeah and it's a sure. good reminder and it was what's interesting is at the beginning of the pandemic and i wrote my last book during the pandemic it was very difficult i signed that deal on march 30th of 2020 so when wow. things were extremely right. haywire which i was like I got a book deal. I didn't even know that they were, people were still working at this point. I remember thinking <laughs> at a certain point, like, this is so pointless what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, people are out here saving lives, right? The emergency workers and first responders. But I was like, I'm just writing stories. This is silly. But then I was reading so much during the pandemic and it really helped me. I'm like, oh, okay. Maybe yeah. there is, I had that struggle of like, oh, books do make a difference. Even if it's fiction, you're not, you're not quote unquote learning anything like, you know, factual so um but on the negative side which is interesting is when people will will not like your book and then they'll review it and they'll tag you in it and i'm just like why are you tagging me i would never see your tweet about how much you hate my book if you did not tag me just keep it to yourself i mean tweet about i don't care but i don't need to know about it. like i would not come to your job and be like you know i do not like the way you're doing this <laughs> hr it's not good like right. it's hard pass on this or like your kids are not cute ps like you know it's that is surprising to me just because I'm like, this is just totally normal behavior to not be rude, to not go out of your way to be rude. I mean, I'm not telling everyone to like my book. That's fine. You cannot like my book. I just don't need to know about it. Right. Well, that's that would a, be tough, right? Yeah. Like, and, and the way things are reviewed now and, you know, Amazon, yeah. wherever it is, that 
That would be tough. Well, people will be it like, this be. book is overrated. But, you know, this book is so overrated. I'm like, I didn't know it was rated. So, well, and you, know, and you then, didn't rate it. You wrote it. You yeah. know, like yeah. it's it's the audience well, or the marketplace was, that rates it, right? Or these organizations. It was funny. It was funny because uh, my third book, fourth book, my fourth book, it was about the Kennedys and USA Today, which is kind of funny because I, I do like USA Today, but they, I mean, they roasted it. And it was, they had not gotten the memo that the Kennedys are, are not like, the best people like they had some skeletons uh, you know I, apparently they did not get that memo so they i mean but it was so the review was like in the paper it was so mean that i actually used the quotes in some advertising they called it the hate read of the summer and like i mean they were but it was almost comical how i'm like well <laughs> you know at least you had a very violent reaction that's better than you saying like oh i, I will never remember this book it's totally forgettable i'm like hey it elicited something in you so well, is it true that, you know, what's the old saying about uh, any news is good news? Like, that's still publicity yeah. for you, even though it's kind yeah. of negative, but it still helps get your word out there and your message or your book out there. And you know? again, I mean, a passionate reaction is better than, eh, I mean, whatever. Sure. Fine. Well, at least they're paying attention and you're, exactly. you're, you're on their radar, you know? Yeah. But that would be tough, I think, for anyone. And I think with success like that, and especially with the public, right? Or just yeah. the overall marketplace, you have to be ready for that negative just as you would be for the positive, right? And that, that would be, yeah. And think tough. about it. If Think of anybody that's successful in anything. When you're successful, a successful person has haters. If you don't have yeah, haters, exactly. you aren't doing shit. <laughs> yeah, so right. bottom line, right? So, and, and the other thing with people on the internet and the things that they post, I, if people put the effort into their own life and making themselves become a better person that they put into strategically going out and making a post and finding the person to post it and boosting the post yeah, and commenting strange. on their own post, it's yeah. like, can you go do something positive? It's a like, lot of effort. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's like if you took and, and you think if they're doing it to you, they probably spend hours yeah. a day doing this about everything. Well, I'm going to comment on that. Or I'm gonna, you're not. It's like take that three hours, go to yoga. Yeah. Go go for yeah. a jog. Find a passion. You know, positive. Yeah, just relax. Yeah. Deep breaths, everyone. So, Most of uh, that comes true. out of jealousy, anyway. Um, Do you have a book that's coming out like on the twenty seventh, or it, is that? Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just so came just coming out. Yeah, out. This, okay, that's the Lipstick yeah, Bureau, right? Oh, nice. The Lipstick Bureau. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So it's about a. Um, it takes place at the end of World War II in Rome. It was after Rome was liberated but before the war had ended. So it was this very weird time because and half of um, Italy was still under Axis control and half was under Allied control. And Rome was had, they had spies, they had still Nazis hanging around, they had the Allies, Americans. And um, the US sent a group of people there. They were called, they were with morale operations, which was part of OSS, which eventually became CIA. But they were sent there to disseminate propaganda basically, to get in the minds. And it was, the propaganda was called black propaganda, which means it's, it's supposed to appear to come from your own sources. So, you know, it, it looks like it's from the Germans and it's being, the propaganda is being distributed to the Germans. So this team from the US, they went in and they actually were also from um, some other allied countries. They went in Rome and they had this whole propaganda machine. So they would send, they would do fake newspapers. They were trying to lower the morale of the German troops and get them to give up. And uh, a woman 
headed a big piece of it and she came up with some very clever i mean and they would distribute like toilet paper with hitler's face on it and said use this side and they had this (laughs) whole they had this whole fake um lonely hearts club where in these newspapers they'd say hey we're german wives we're kind of lonely and we want some you know german soldier love so if you meet us here with this on your lapel you know we can hook up and they would come and then they would get they would get them to surrender so all these little plots so it's about how propaganda affects the people that's being served to and the people that are creating it so very a lot of parallels relevant to today's oh yeah um, society, I was gonna say that sure. like it sounds like the same thing still going yeah. on yeah. you know all these years there's later. a lot of parallels that are very uh striking even when you're doing the re- that's a funny thing of, of doing a lot of historicals you do find um these parallels and it was sort of the, the last book i mentioned i wrote during quarantine and this and that book took place during the london blitz and they would you know they're going to dinner carrying their gas masks and everything just becomes kind of normal and that was like when you're like oh kind of like we're just becoming normal you go with your mask you know like it was mm-hmm. it, there's so much you can relate you, we do repeat some of those same mistakes but um over and over and over i guess we don't like to learn uh but it's so Absolutely. it was a fascinating time that you know they were trying to disrupt things and, and cause a decrease in morale and, and it was um this one woman was really she she earned a bronze star for it and um you know she came up with a lot of these really good ideas I love it. Where, um, before we kind of wrap this up, where's the best way for our, our viewers to buy your books, to learn more about you? Um, give us, uh, give us some links and, and where we can point these people. So, uh, my website is michellegable.com and it can tell you where to buy books, but the, anywhere they're sold. So it, they'll be in Costco, you know, Walmart, uh, Target books, you know, Amazon, indie bookstores. I mean, I always, I always, for me, it doesn't matter where someone buys it, but I do like to encourage people to buy it at indie bookstores. You guys have a great indie bookstore in Charlotte. Um, and just because, you know, I think they add a lot to the community. They have book signings. They have events for children. I just think there's such a cornerstone of communities that, you know, if, if you're neutral and you don't care where you buy it, you know, I'm always saying, and you can also buy um, audiobooks through Libro FM instead of Audible and you can have it, um, you know, be sent to your favorite indie, you know, it, it credits a sale for them. So, uh, and also library, I'm a huge fan of library, um, library, the library journal loved my book that just came out. And that is always a huge, huge accolade in my mind. Cause as I told you at the beginning, I have always been a library person. So authors are always happy if you're checking out from library. And if you're, if they don't have that book, you can ask them and request it and I'll buy it. And then other people, you can read it and other people will enjoy it. So, you know, really wherever books are sold, you can, you can pick it up. And I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter at M Gable writer. But only go on there if you're saying nice things, people. <laughs> sure. right. You can not like yes. my books if you do not need yes. to tag me. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Just don't let her Thank know. Thank you for reading anyway. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. We always talk about in the brand. It, you know, look, um, if your name's out there, whether it's good or bad, your name's still out there. So if you guys want to yeah. talk about it, just don't tag yeah. it. Come on. Have some yeah. respect. Yeah. I always say, I don't exactly. care what you call me. Just call me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has like, been awesome. Thanks for buying it anyway. Yeah, Michelle, yeah. this has been awesome. Really you can cool. see the passion that you have in, in writing. And I love just the journey from, from you being 10 years old and, and to, to get to you know the pinnacle, right? Being a, a New York Times bestseller. And now... 
I feel like it, it's kind of giving you even more juice to continue and to write new books. And I think that's really, really exciting. And um, I just love the passion. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, you, you had your own job, but you never lost sight of that passion, that side hustle, something that gave you enjoyment, whether you made it or not. And I feel a lot of the success stories around that are people that do things that they enjoy. And if you do something that you enjoy, eventually you're going to get the break that you need. And, and all of that passion and that joy is now turned into like, oh my God, like <laughs> this works, yeah, right? Exactly. Like it's so cool. Yeah. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to virtually Thanks, meet guys. you and, and learn more about your story. You yes. Thank you. you. Awesome. Uh, until next time, like we always say, like, share, comment, go to michellegable.com, go follow her on, uh, on Instagram and all of her social media platforms. And most importantly, go buy her books. It'll be a great one uh, for throughout the holidays. And then uh, once we get into beach season, which will be here before we know it, you can take one of those books on the beach. So love it. Michelle, thank you so much. Until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.